just more major market movements. Not the good ones either. I talked about yesterday how the avalanche, you could feel it coming and coming. Well, that's still the case today. Got huge moves in Eurodollar futures, treasury curve doing thing, collateral runs. If you remember way back in December 2021, the Eurodollar futures curve first inverted. It was only a single basis point upside down. But the fact that it was even a basis point upside down was something that got your attention. Because what it said was, at the time, enough participants in the market were thinking, I'm, I'm concerned about the future here. And, the, and the, the fact that it inverted down the curve in the 2024 and 2025 contracts didn't mean literally concern over something that would happen in 2024 or 2025. That just happened to be far enough down the curve where hedging could begin to take, take shape and then we could start to notice it. Over time, that curve inversion has progressed. It has gotten deeper and wider and it has moved up and up further closer to the curve or up closer to the front to the point that now the numbers are just extreme. That progression told you something important about what the marketplace was thinking. It was thinking that we started this little tiny inversion, just a non-specific, hey, I'm a little bit worried about the future to more and more people joining that that feeling, joining in on that concern, fewer and fewer who are willing to take the other side saying, I don't see that concern at all. I'm more betting with Jay Powell. So that over time, the tug of war, the mix, inversions kept going further and further and further as more and more in the market were concerned in the same way as those initial few had been way back in December, 2021. Things took a really big, big turn in the middle of last year, June and July, another huge turn, October, November, and December in particular, another bit of an acceleration in January. Then the there was a lull in February, remember the no landing, soft landing stuff that seems like a distant memory now. And then March. March, we got SVB, Credit Suisse, which is what we're gonna talk about today. And the market curve saying, not only was this something we were warning you about, this is kind of what we were worried about. It was only kind of what we're worried about because it's not the whole thing. There's more to the story. There's more to the inversion. And we know that because after everything that happened in March, things got worse. In the immediate aftermath, there was collateral runs, curves got even worse. And now here we are into April and we're going into the same territory all over again, even though no new bank names are in the news. We're not talking about another Silicon Valley bank. We're not talking about Credit Suisse, although we are going to talk about Credit Suisse. We're talking about a, a specific bank names, but yet the markets are saying there's something else here. The 2008 style scenario, which is always, as I keep pointing out, two parts. The two parts are bad economy, which I talked about yesterday, the avalanche, the coming avalanche in layoffs, and bad money. What is it in the bad money? What we know about the bad economy is pretty simple, but the fact that the curves are moving in this way, that we're still experiencing all this massive hedging, de-risking, the lessons of Bear Stearns that we can see, tells you it's not just the bad economy, which is why yesterday's big moves couldn't have been just about jolts, nor today's big moves about the ISM. Even though the ISM numbers, the non-manufacturing PMI was bad, it's about both parts of the 2008 style scenario. So let's pull on the other part again today, and we'll do it by going through a little bit from Credit Suisse. What can we learn from that? 
But first, I'm Jeff. This is your Rodale University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, I have memberships available with exclusive video content. I just did another Q&A session today, which will be released tomorrow. That's the kind of stuff that we put up on your Rodale University, as well as uh, there's a, if you check out our YouTube channel here, there's one of the basics videos I put up there for you to, to examine. But that's the kind of content we do. We do background material. I do classroom videos where we get into the nitty gritty details behind Euro dollars, what they are, how they make, you know, how they impact your life, not just the markets, all that stuff. Memberships, eurodollar.university. Also have research subscriptions available. Check out the information at the website there too. So as of today, today we've got more big stuff. I mean, the big moves this week, uh, for example, in Eurodollar futures, the December 2023 contract is up about 50 basis points in just the last three days. It's up 15 basis points again today after a big move yesterday. And remember, before March, before last month, those kinds of moves were exceptional. Anything like 15, 20 basis points would have been, holy crap, what's going on? Of course, the moves last month, last month were historic, 2008 style and bigger. So we're a little bit desensitized to those big moves, but 15 basis points today. But what's really important is that the December 2023 contract is now inverted to the June contract by nearly 100 basis points. Went from less than 50 to almost 100 in the seemingly a big, not less than 50, but near 50 to almost 100 in seemingly a blink of an eye which is the market saying that the bad stuff that it's anticipating today is going is piling up such that when the rate cuts start, we're still not sure when they will, when the rate cuts start, they're getting faster and steeper. The rapid series of cuts is becoming more rapid in these market projections, which only raises the question, why? Well, one reason, economic data, as I mentioned yesterday, Joel's, but Jolts wasn't that much. Today we got the ISM numbers. They weren't good. Suggesting March deterioration in the economy. That's sure. Sure, that's it. ADP, uh, that was a weak number. Private payrolls. We'll get the, the government payroll report on Friday. But it's more than that. It's not just the economy suffering the fallout from March. It's the idea that what happened in March was only a symptom of a bigger problem. Part of that problem is everybody knows, that watches this channel anyway, Collateral. Today, another collateral scramble and a collateral run. The three-month Treasury bill was more the typical scramble for collateral, which is not a good thing anyway. But you had the early morning hours where suddenly Treasury bills were in heavy demand. The, the yield on the three-month Treasury bill fell by a couple basis points, three, four, five, maybe something like that, which is enough. That's a lot. And then it goes back to normal by the time we get to 7, 8 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. But then the four-week bill, as we've seen far more frequently in common over the, ever since mid-March, the four-week bill didn't get its collateral scramble or really outright run until the U.S. day session, which is completely unusual, at least it used to be. Now it's becoming more common. And then the, the four-week Treasury bill yield just plummets by 10 basis points, seemingly out of nowhere, and that, that the sustained bid continues, out, continues through the morning session and into the afternoon. So we've got collateral problems. They're still happening. We've got hedging, massive hedging. Again, Eurodollar futures, the treasury curve, the two-year treasury, the 10-year treasury note, down into the 320s, lowest since August. So the market is acting, continuously acting on the lessons of Bear Stearns. We know they're building a collateral cushion because we can see it in collateral, or 
see it in the collateral stuff. We know they're building a cash cushion. De-risking, that's implied in all of these things, as well as hedging the hell out of everything. That we can definitely see. But why? Why, why, why? We can, the two parts of the 2008 style scenario, bad economy, but also continued bad money. There was an article in Bloomberg today, and I have to thank Todd for pointing this out, as he usually does, a, an article in Bloomberg that talked about Credit Suisse and how important it was that the Swiss government uh, f arranged, let's call it that, arranged the merger with UBS. And here's the, I mean, the title, Credit Suisse's fatal bank run points to gaps in liquidity rules. Now, this is not surprising to anybody who knows anything about banking and bank regulations. But it's probably surprising to a lot of regul regulators as well as the general public and central bankers. Here's the first couple paragraphs. Credit Suisse AG was hit by renewed outflows over several days last month that took it to the brink of bankruptcy, even when it was supposed to have enough funds to cover a month of deposit flight. As Swiss officials and Credit Suisse executives emphasized this week that the firm's emergency sale staved off imminent collapse. They highlighted how sharp the run was. And what they said is true and also highlights not just the seriousness of Credit Suisse situation, but the ridiculousness and absurdness of the regulatory rule, Basel III in particular. Remember what Basel III was? Basel III was, hey, we went back to 2008 and saw that all these numbers that we had put together, like capital ratios, yeah, they were worthless. They didn't really help us out a lot. They didn't show that, you know, Bear Stearns was fine because Bear Stearns, what was its capital ratio? In, uh, before it went out of business, merged, its capital ratio was 13.5% at the end of February 2008. Well capitalized, well within regulatory guidelines. Lehman Brothers, five days before it went into bankruptcy, actual bankruptcy, Lehman Brothers had a tier one capital ratio of 11%, which was three times, almost three times, what was the regulatory minimum? So we had these capital ratios and still these banks, these quasi banks, were hit with liquidity runs anyway. It wasn't about capital, it wasn't about losses, it was about solvency, mostly about collateral. Never hear that part either. So what did the authorities do? They said, well, capital ratios were worthless, so let's come up with some more ratios that have to do with liquidity. Among them in the Basel III regime, network, framework, whatever you want to call it, is something called the liquidity coverage ratio, or LCR. Here's how the BIS defines the LCR. The LCR promotes the short-term resilience of a bank's liquidity risk profile. It does this by ensuring that a bank has an adequate stock of unencumbered, high-quality liquid assets, HQLA, that can be converted into cash easily and immediately in private markets to meet its liquidity needs for a 30 calendar day liquidity stress scenario. It will improve the banking sector's ability to absorb shocks arising from financial and economic stress, whatever the source, thus reducing the risk of spillover from the financial sector to the real economy. Obviously, given what they just said, given what the LCR is supposed to be and what the Bloomberg just announced from Swiss officials, it kind of makes you wonder what this LCR actually does. In fact, is this LCR nothing more than the newest, latest version of capital ratios? Another useless number that regulators have invented that doesn't mean a darn thing in actual practice. Because Credit Suisse said in March, just before it was merged with UBS, 
as a globally systemically important bank, Credit Suisse, like its global peers, is subject to high standards for capital, funding, liquidity, and leverage requirements. As of the end of 2022, Credit Suisse had a CET1 ratio of 14.1%. Beautiful capital ratio. And an average liquidity coverage ratio of 144%, which has since improved to approximately 150% as of March 14th, 2023. And yet the LCR was 150% well above minimum requirements. And here we are talking about it and not in a good way. The use of a coverage, covered loan facility of 39 billion Swiss francs will further strengthen the LCR with immediate effect. Yeah, that immediate effect was UBS merger. So, Here's the, Credit Suisse is conservatively positioned against interest rate risks. Hmm. The volume of duration fixed income securities is not material compared to the overall HQLA portfolio. And in addition, is fully hedged for moves in interest rates. Fully hedged for moves in interest rates. All moves in interest rates? Moreover, the loan book is highly collateralized at almost 90%, with more than 60% in Switzerland, and an average provision for credit loss ratio of eight basis points across wealth management and the Swiss bank. So from that, you can infer one thing real easy. There's more going on here. There's a lot more going on here. First of all, they do have HQLA, or Credit Suisse. What they say is, is factually true, but practically irrelevant. It can't be. It must have been irrelevant because... Again, the merger happened. Credit Suisse was on the brink of insolvency because there is more going on here. The liquidity coverage ratio is just a number. But what I wonder here is if they have HQLA in their portfolio, they could have sold them that were fully hedged against for moves in interest rates. But which moves in interest rates? Only interest rates going higher? I mean, were they listening too much to Zoltan Pauser? Were they think, thinking that the interest rates were going to double digits and hedged against rising interest rates, which would have left them exposed to falling, ratio, falling interest rates? Hmm. That's interesting, too, because that, this wouldn't be the first time. Think back to Dexia, for example. That's a name that we haven't heard in a decade. And one of the reasons why Dexia was nationalized, taken insolvent, nearly insolvent, they were hedged against rising interest rates, but not falling interest rates. Now this is, you know, this is speculation here, just throwing stuff out because it reinforces what we're really thinking about here is that this is not about Credit Suisse. It's not just about the liquidity coverage ratios, which are nothing more than meant to tell the public we did something about 2008. Never mind that what we did was just as worthless as when we imposed capital ratios. Liquidity, systemic liquidity is not what they write about in the textbooks. It's not what the authorities talk about when they write these liquidity coverage ratio rules. It is something else entirely. In practice, there's a lot more going on than just regulatory stuff. There's a lot more going on than um, what, what the public is led in on, what we're led to believe is going on with these banks, how safe and how resilient they are. It is not really about the banks. It's about the system, the liquidity system that can take a bank like Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers that has an absolutely sterling capital ratio and put it into bankruptcy. Or a bank like Credit Suisse that has a sterling capital ratio and a magnificent liquidity coverage ratio and make it almost insolvent and bankrupt too. 
That's a fragile monetary system. That's what we're really talking about here. And that's what the market is thinking. That despite all of these impressive numbers, despite all of these impressive sounding features, it's not protection against a fragile monetary environment that go that moves the system and moves these individual banks outside of their presumed tolerances. And their tolerances, as it turns out, are much narrower than they anticipate because the system is so fragile. That's the part that I think that markets are looking today at. Hey, the economy is getting worse and it looks like there's going to be fallout from March, but also the system is still fragile because this wasn't about Silicon Valley Bank and it wasn't really about Credit Suisse. There is a bigger picture here and it's a bigger picture that looks more and more like it's going wrong. That's why the Eurodollar futures curve has gotten like this. It's almost straight down. And not only that, the treasury curve is looking like the same way. It's again, the avalanche. The avalanche is, 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 it's not here just yet, but you can feel it coming. The steepness of inversions is just absolutely mind boggling because these markets, as I said from the beginning, they are hedged to the max. And they're hedged to the max now in April in a way that they were, and even beyond what they were in mid-March when we were talking about bank failures. So you put all of these things together. We've got the weak economy. Yeah, we know about that. That's, that's pretty simple. Uh, that soft landing, no landing stuff, that's distant memories because it was never a real possibility to begin with. But it's the money part. It's not the one thing or the other. It's the two of those getting, two of those colliding together. Because when you have a bad economy and you have bad money, it becomes one, one, one gets into the other and it makes this self-reinforcing vicious cycle. Bad economy raises the prospects of fear over credit losses, more fear, lack of liquidity, which makes the economy worse and round and round we go. Fragile monetary system, bad economy to begin with, and the possibilities, the, the nasty possibilities aren't that difficult to understand, nor are they that difficult to price in these markets, especially since all the while, what are politicians and regulators doing? They're looking at these stunning ratios, their magnificent regulatory creations and saying, everything has to be fine. When we know it's not fine, we can see it not fine. Collateral, collateral runs, something they never talk about. So markets, the avalanche, here we are in April, we're still, we're still in the same potential territory. Things haven't gotten better. They may have gotten worse and we're just beginning to get into seeing the fallout from what happened last month, let alone what happens over the months ahead. So buckle up, stay tuned. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you to all the Eurodollar University and Markets Insider Pro Research subscribers and Eurodollar University members. Love you guys. Until next time, take care.